Good morning, church, once again. Um, our Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 to 20, uh, 25. Genesis 2, verse 20 to 25. Verse 20, And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the folds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam was but for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flask instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one Flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. We'll be in Genesis chapter two together this morning. I wonder if you have a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview. It's not a phrase that we use very often, but I think it's a phrase that is important to understand. Worldview. You can see the meaning of the phrase in the words themselves. A worldview is how you view the world. How do you view things that should be going on in life? How you handle things in life? Uh, Do you view them through a biblical lens? Or do you view them through some other lens? Maybe perhaps your own experience, or perhaps you view them through society's view. Do you have a biblical Worldview. My hope is that as a result of our time together, over the, especially over the next several weeks, that you'll have a biblical worldview in relation to marriage. See, how you look at something will determine how you see it. If you look at marriage from a biblical view, you'll see it from a biblical view. But if you approach marriage from society's view... You'll see it different. As believers, we say that the Scriptures are our foundation for all matters of faith and practice. And if we mean what we say, then we need to see what does Scripture say about marriage. I think the best place to start would be in the book of Genesis, and we'll do that today. Society has some weird things to say about marriage. In fact, I did some quick research and ran across several of them this week that caused me to go, huh? In uh, last year, 2022, in London, a lady by the name of Deborah Hodge, 49 years old, mother of two, had a landlord that said that she couldn't have any house, so she married her cat to get around that rule. She's allowed to have her spouse, right? 
in India last year, a 24-year-old lady. She always wanted to be a bride, but didn't want to get married to anyone else, so she legally married herself. In Japan, 2018, a 38-year-old man by the name of Akihika Kondo married a fictional computer-generated character, and they've been married for three years now. Not even a real thing. Someone asked him in an interview what his thoughts were about it. Did he realize that she's not real? And he said, my feelings for her are real, and that's good enough for me. This is what I mean by if you allow society to form what marriage looks like, you end up with all sorts of weird things going on with marriage. And it's easy for us to point fingers at London and India and Japan and laugh, but if we look at society ourselves, we'll find some strange views of marriage as well. We have young people who say we're married, but they've never publicly affirmed it. Every time you see marriage in Scripture, it's publicly affirmed. Uh, We have things like guys who take multiple wives. I mentioned that last week. It will come up in the sermon in two weeks from now. I'll address polygamy, and we'll look at it deeply in two weeks. And yet society, our current society, says that that is an acceptable form of marriage. We also have a skewed version within our current society that says that a father should raise a daughter so that she can become his retirement plan. That also, I would say, is a skewed version of Scripture. So what is marriage, and who should get married, and when should they get married? These are topics that will be covered, and I plan to walk through Scripture and let us have a view of them. I do want to say this at the beginning of the series. Husbands and wives, you will receive plenty of ammunition throughout these sermons. I'm going to ask you, please, when you get home, I don't want you to say to your spouse, Pastor Matt said, I'm not to be ammunition in your gun. I would hope, however, that you would see that there's a different way to live. I would hope that you would say, this is what Scripture says about how the way I should live. And an amazing thing happens when you adjust the way you live. It totally changes your relationships. And so let's start off in the book of Genesis. We'll be in chapter 2. I plan on walking down chapter 2, verse 20, down to chapter 3 and verse 21 this morning. I'll read again the scripture reading from chapter 2 and verse 20. I've broken this passage into three sections. I'll say this chapter 2, verse 20 to 25 is the way it should be. That's the first of the three sections, the way it should be. God designed it with a certain way. This is what marriage should look like. Let's see it in chapter 2, verse 20 down to verse 25. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air every beast that was of the field, but for Adam there was not found in help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I won't develop this later, but it is a play on words. Woman drawn out from man. Verse 24, 
Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. It says in verse 20 that there was not a help meet for him. And I won't stay here long, but I think that many times that, that the words a help meet for him sometimes gets misunderstood, uh, especially those of us that speak English, uh, preach from English, and, and don't spend much time in study. Sometimes perhaps you've heard the, the words a help meet. And, and say, maybe you've heard somebody say something like that. Uh, God will provide a woman to be a help meet. Not a word. Help meet is not a word. Uh, it is help meet for him. In other words, meant for or fits together with him. The word here, the, the Hebrew word that's translated help meet for him, Edzer, it's used 21 times in the Old Testament. And 19 times, the only two times is here, verse 18, verse 20, it shows up as help meet for him. And the other 19 times it's translated as help. And you might know this one, like Psalm 121 in verse 1. I will lift mine eyes up to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. As the Lord is to be your help in a time of need, so also your spouse is to be your help from day to day. As a hand fits with a glove. That's the idea here. And so God says, I'm going to make a help for Adam. There's nobody like this. There's no animal. In fact, I think it's very interesting that God called this before Adam saw it. You saw in verse 20, Adam's giving names to all the animals, and he sees at the end of verse 20, there was not a help found for him. God called this. Look back in verse 18. Verse 18, God called it. The Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. God called it before Adam knew it. By the way, God does this all the time. He knows what you need. He knows your frame. He knows your frailty. He knows what you need. And sometimes He doesn't just provide it. He lets you come into a situation where you realize it. And where is your help going to come from? My help comes from the Lord. And so Adam is given the task, name all the animals, but really God's got an underlying thing going on here. Adam goes through and he sees all the different animals and he goes, I could throw a stick with the dog, but my goodness, this dog is just a terrible conversationalist. And there's the elephant, and that elephant can carry all my stuff. He's naked, I don't know what stuff he's got, but he, the elephant could carry his stuff. But the elephant's not going to sit down and have a, have a cup of coffee with him. And there's the ant. Look at the ant. Wow, so studious. But taking a walk together is going to be really a struggle for the two of us. And Adam sees in himself, he sees for himself, there's none of these that's going to be the one that's right for me. And God brings him to a point where he realizes, I need someone. I need someone. And God already had a plan. Don't you love that? God already had a plan. He does that in all of our lives. Just think, outside of marriage, in all of your life, and we've talked just in recent days about the providence of God as He has brought things into your life and steered things in your life, isn't it great to know that He's in control long before you ever saw the need yourself? He's been at work. And so here for Adam, God's been at work before Adam ever realized that he needs to help meet for Him. 
And then I see here, he's got this issue. God has called it, and he's got this issue. Look at the words in verse 18. It is not good that a man should be alone. It's not good. I know some of you are going to say, but pastor, isn't there a call to singleness? And yes, there is a call to singleness. But I'll say overwhelmingly, that is the exception. It's not the rule. The majority of us, if we're honest today, the majority of us will get married. At some point in your life, the majority of us will get married. And there will be some who will remain single. And that's a gifting and that's a calling. And God blesses that as well. But the truth of the matter is the majority of us cannot live that type of life. And he says, so it's not good for a man to dwell alone. I'm going to have a pastoral moment here for just a second. Our current society places a value increasingly on anonymity, of being anonymous. That's a growing value. It's not a biblical value. I'll explain. How many of you have been born since 2000? The year 2000 and coming forward, let me see your hands. Raise your hand if you're born year 2000 and after, all right? Young people, get those hands up. You guys are going to lead us, all right? So if you're year 2000 and after, get those hands up. All right. So you were born, year t- some of you older guys are raising your hand. I know you were born before 2000. <laughs> if you were born since the year 2000, you've been born into an age that has technological advancements with mobile devices Touchscreen is a part of your life, and you don't know life before touchscreen. Now, here's what I mean by valuing anonymity. There are things that, and perhaps moms and dads, you'll understand this better than the young people will. There are things that you will, you will do and you will say online that you would never do or say in person. You know why? Because anonymity, being anonymous, makes that possible. You can say things to people that you would never say in person, but you do it because you have the feeling of being hidden. Add to it, you can change your avatar, you can change your name, you can be Placeman, you can be whatever name you want to be on the internet, and you can hide behind anonymity. I think there will be studies that will be done in the days to come on how much COVID-19 has impacted this current generation. We spent three years behind face masks. I'm telling you, that will change how this current generation thinks. And with anonymity causes problems with, it's not good for a man to be alone. There, is, there are core issues there. And if I can just speak to moms and dads for just a minute, I'm going to be mean. Young people... Hang on. I love you, and I'm saying this because I love you. Moms and dads, if they're under the age of 15, they probably don't need a mobile phone. If they're under 15, they probably don't need a mobile phone. And you say, but no, actually, I need to be able to have them call me. Okay, give them a one bang. They'll be fine. They can do just fine with a one bang. If I had a son, I don't have any sons, but if I had a son that was under 21, I would have him on a one bang phone. I, the internet is a terribly deceiving place. And our young people are growing up being influenced by people who are hiding behind 
avatars and hiding behind names that are not even real, that are impacting the way they think. It is not good for them to dwell alone. And while mom and dad try their best, gather the children around the table, and you're going to get to impact them for 25 minutes over dinner, if your dinner lasts 25 minutes, and for the next three hours they're going to be in their room talking to somebody else that's not face-to-face, saying things they would never say face-to-face, asking questions they would never ask face-to-face. Friend, it's not good for a man to dwell alone. So moms and dads, bring them in. Embrace them. Spend time together with your children. Be the ones that impact their lives. It's not good for a man to dwell alone, is what God said. And he puts Adam there to name the animals. Adam realizes, I need somebody. Not a dog, not an elephant, not an ant. I need somebody. And then God fulfills that. God, in verse 21 causes a deep sleep to fall upon him. I would say that in this moment, this a tender moment, there's a rib that's taken from him. What a tender place. If you think about of any place to be injured in your body, when we talk about our ribs, we think that's a tender spot. And here the Lord causes him to fall into a deep sleep and takes the rib from his side. This is a tender moment. And then look at Adam's response as he awakes. I think it was probably a surgery done without scars. For what God does, He always does perfectly. Verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is the way it should be. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she's been taken out of the man. She's a part of me. And I see a tenderness here. She's a part of me. She is separate, and yet she's equal. Now, friend, I know that go, but wait a second. I know Ephesians 5 says that she's supposed to submit. I submit to you that that's because the world has fallen. I'll, I'll give you a spoiler alert. They're going to fall in sin. Everything's going to be messed up. And as a result of the fall, jump over to chapter 3 and verse 16 and see it. As a result of the fall... To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Here's a result to the fall. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Do you realize that this hierarchy that ends up being there is a result of the fall? She's separate. She's equal. She's bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. And in innocence and in sinlessness, there's a love and a tenderness here that can't be described. Sin complicates life terribly. We see in verse number 24, Adam makes a statement here that should be advice for future generations. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. There to... The advice is to leave and to cleave. Leave your father and mother and go cleave to your wife. Men, this is important. You're not married yet. This is important, young men. Be thinking in the terms of our great Tambuna Adam before he fell in sin. What were his words? Going to leave and going to cleave. 
I leave my father and mother. I'm going to go and cleave to my... I'm still going to honor my father and mother. That's Exodus 20, verse 4. I'm supposed to still honor them, but I'm going to leave them, and I'm going to have my own nuclear family. I'm going to cleave to my wife. What's the word cleave? Literally, to cling to. She's going to be the one that I hold on to. I'm not holding on to mommy anymore. I'm letting go of mom and dad, and now I'm cleaving to my wife. And oh, how many... Problems in our society would be solved by leaving and cleaving. I'll save that for another sermon. Leaving and cleaving is very important for your family. Look at verse 25. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were unashamed. So they're naked and they're unashamed. And God created them this way. And I think that this creates a theme that will then follow through the rest of our passage. And I think that it would be good for us to ask a question. Why? Why were they unashamed in their nakedness? Because for you and I, that's just natural. You find yourself in a bad dream, in the middle of a room, naked. You get terrified from that. This is natural for you to be ashamed. And here the two of them are, it says very openly, they were naked and they're unashamed. And I think simply the answer to that question is because they have nothing to hide. There's no sin in their life. They are innocent. They're perfect before God and before each other. And there's a godly openness. There's no sin and there's no secret. They're open toward each other and they're open toward God. That brings me to the second section here. Is the fall from innocence. The fall from innocence. I see it in chapter 3, verses 1 down to verse 5. I'll read and make comment as we go. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. It's the exact opposite, by the way, of what God had said. Satan's words, in fact, that we know that that's Satan. The serpent comes... Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 identifies him, that old serpent which is the devil. That's what Revelation 12 tells us. And so this serpent is Satan incarnate, and Satan comes before Eve, and he says, Yea, has God said, Thou shalt not eat of every tree. That's the exact opposite of what God had said. God had said back in chapter 2 and verse Uh, 16. Look at chapter 2 and verse 16. The Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And then verse 17, But there is one. Don't eat of it. So do you see the words that Satan uses? They're the exact opposite of what God said. God said, You can freely eat of every tree, just not that one. That's the grace of God. It's the grace of God saying here, enjoy. Enjoy life to its fullest and here's a boundary. That's the grace of God. Don't look at the boundaries that God places as restrictions. Look at them as the gift from God to keep you from trouble. And so here he says, eat freely of every tree except for that one. And Satan comes along and what's Satan's words? Has God really said you can't eat from every tree? Deceptive. He took the words of God and twisted them so that Adam and Eve would not see God as good. And by the way, as I meditated upon this passage this week, I just found it very interesting that in the garden they had full and free fellowship with God and they were told, partake of every tree, but don't partake of that one. 
And in the day that you do partake of that one, you'll be separated from God. You'll be kicked out of the garden. And that's what happened. They partook of the tree and they were kicked out of the garden. And now you and I, we find ourselves on the outside of the, tr- outside of the garden. And do you realize that every pleasure in the world will do nothing but keep us away from God? But if we come to the one tree, the cross of Christ, we can be made right with God and brought back into a relationship that is the garden. Oh, I just love the way that God does these pictures just all throughout the Old Testament. Keeps pointing to the cross. And God had said you can eat of all of them except the one. Now the woman responds to the serpent in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She's off theologically, by the way. God never said anything about touching it. I don't know why she says this. Perhaps Adam brought it in. I don't know. Uh, But... She's off theologically. And by the way, if you're off theologically, it's very easy for Satan to trip you up. And that's where she finds herself there. And she begins to listen to Satan's lies. Verse number four. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And by the way, this is Satan's tactic over and over. Satan will always try to get you to buy into his lies. And his number one lie is right there in verse 3. You shall not surely die. Satan will come along and he'll dangle sin in front of you and make it seem so pleasurable. He'll make it look great. It's like an advertisement. He'll put it at the front and he'll make it look really good. Do you ever watch those or see those advertisements, the billboards on the side of the road for SP? It's always somebody smiling, beautiful background. I'm on the beach, having a wonderful life. They never show the guy drunk on the side or the wife that's been beaten. They never show the rest of the story. Satan does that all the time. I... I I love American football. It's just in me. I think probably because of the way I grew up. I love American football. And in order as a citizen or as a resident in Papua New Guinea, in order for me to watch American football, I have to use a VPN on my internet. Don't tell the internet that I'm watching it through a VPN. They think I'm in California. I'm not in California. (laughs) So So I log on through a VPN. It puts me through to California, and I get to watch the football games live. And it's really cool. But one of the things that happens is they play California advertisements during the commercial breaks. We don't have these kinds of advertisements here, but in America they have these advertisements. It's advertising for medicine. It's an amazing thing. And and they, 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 they put the medicine on there, and the idea is if you're sitting there and you have this ailment, you've got high blood pressure, they have a high blood pressure medicine, you watch the commercial, you write down the name, and you go tell your doctor, I want to take that medicine. And then the doctor goes, okay, if you want that medicine, I'll give you that one. It's a mind-boggling thing. But part of the rules and the law is that if they play an advertisement for medicine, they have to tell you the fine print in the advertisement. And that's when it gets really funny. 
Because here is an advertisement for medicine that is high blood pressure medicine, and here's a guy who's riding his bicycle, and the sun is setting in a balloon off the handlebars, and his wife is riding a bicycle beside Who does that, right? And, and there he is, beautiful picture, and then in the background, they give, the, these are the side effects. Uh, you might end up with a really bad rash, or perhaps you'll have a really high fever, or maybe your tongue will grow hair, or maybe perhaps you might get a stroke and die. <laughs> There's like all kinds of, and they're hilarious to listen to the fine print. You realize Satan does this. He takes and puts sin in front of you, and he puts the most beautiful pictures he can at the front, and he never shows you the fine print. He never tells you this is what's going to actually happen. Eve, God's trying to trick you and tell you that you can't be wise like He is. Don't you realize that they already had what God had? They had the image of God. He created them in His image. He gave them the ability to have dominion over the earth. That's what God has. Dominion over the earth. And He gave it to Adam and Eve. And along comes Satan and says, you know what? You really are missing out because you don't know what evil is. So they take a step away from being more godlike. And they take a plunge into Satan's lies. And whenever you bite the hook that Satan puts, there's a hook in there. They believe the lies. And it continues down, spirals even further. Look at verse number 6. When they saw, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. This is a full definition of sin as they look through carnal eyes. It's the lust of the flesh. You see that as it is good for food. And it's the lust of the eyes. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's the pride of life as they say, it's going to make us wise. This is what I want other people to think of me. And here they are falling for sin and Satan's lies because they're not looking through godly eyes. They're looking through sinful eyes. And then they set up barriers in verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. You see what they just did? They just they, they, they sinned. And then they sewed up fig leaves. They created barriers between themselves. And then when God came along, they tried to hide among the trees. You don't play hide and seek with God. He sees all. He knows all. And they go and put up barriers. They put up walls around themselves. You see, sin does this. It causes us to try to protect ourselves, friend. When we're talking about marriage relationships, sin wrecks marriage relationships. Wrecks it. And when you sin... Satan comes along, makes it look really good, and you bite into that sin, and you don't realize, but there's shame hiding behind it. And there's separation that's coming with it. And then you put up walls because you've got to hide that sin from your spouse. You don't want your spouse to know about it. So you put up these walls, and you hide behind it. You know why? Because you don't want your spouse to think less of you. Because if your spouse thinks less of you, the next time there's an argument, maybe your spouse is going to use it against you. 
and we build our own little kingdoms and put our walls up. This is my castle. Here's my wall. Call me king. The effects of sin are far-reaching, and I see them in verses 9 down to verse 21. The effects of sin. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God's reply to this is probably the most condemning, yet the most comforting words in this passage. Look at verse 11. And God said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? In the very moment that Adam partook of the fruit, God knew it. I have a feeling that there was some kind of a cosmic ripple that went through the universe the moment Adam partook of that fruit. Because sin had entered the world. And with sin comes death. God knew it. God was not surprised. He knew it. In fact, we know that God was not surprised because before the foundation of the world, God had already planned the plan of redemption. God had already planned. He would send His Son, the Lord Jesus, to go to the cross and take that sin so that we could be made right with God. But in that moment, God was not surprised, and God knew. God walks into the garden and He says, Adam, where are you? God knows exactly which tree Adam's hiding behind. God knows how long he's been hiding back there. Adam, where are you? Can we just think this morning in our marriage relationships, where are you? Why are you hiding? What are you hiding? Adam steps out and he says, I'm here, but I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. And God replies with an amazing question. Who told you that you were naked? Do you realize what he's saying when he asks that question? I made you that way. Is there something wrong with the way I made you? You know what sin does, brothers and sisters? Sin causes us to question our identity. Who told you that you couldn't be made right with God? Who told you that you could work your way into righteousness? Friend, God created you. And He calls you into relationship with Him. And He put His Son there on the cross to make it so that you could be made right with Him. Who are you to question how He made you? And God asks the question that He already knows the answer to. Did you eat of the fruit? And in that, I see God is drawing Adam to a point of repentance. God knows the answer. And God had every right to say, I know why you think you're naked. It's because you ate of that fruit, and that's not how he phrased it. Did you? And he's drawing Adam into repentance. Look at verse 12 with me. And the man said, The woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. 
And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And I won't dwell here long. We've talked about this in the past. The fact that you and I as sinful people are are very quick to shirk our responsibility and pass the blame. Adam, why did you partake? Oh, it was Eve. Eve, why did you partake? Oh, it was the serpent. Even Adam and his excuses points them back to God. God, it was because you gave me this woman. If you'd never given me this woman, I probably wouldn't have done this. Oh, be careful passing the buck. When God gives you an opportunity to make things right, take it. Look at verse number 14. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go. And thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I love the fact that God never asked the snake what happened. Just, Adam, what happened? Eve, what happened? Oh, snake, I don't care what happened. I know who you are and where you came from. And God puts, puts the curse upon the snake. You'll crawl on your belly for the rest of your days. This is a sign of submission for the rest of your days. Every, from now on, you'll be on your stomach And then, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and your seed will be enemies against her seed. Her seed, Christ. And He will come, you will bruise His heel, but He will crush your head. It's coming, and one day is coming. This is the first glimpse of the cross from Scripture. And then I see in verse number 16, God addresses Eve. Unto the woman He said... And this is, by the way, where we find ourselves now in marriage relationships. We find ourselves on the fallen side of Eden. So to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So here's what you see for the woman in the fall. In the... In... Women, it's different than for men. There's sorrow. And by the way, there's going to be sorrow for both. I'll show it to you in a minute for the men. In, for the women, there's going to be sorrow. Childbirth. And I'll be honest, as a man, I have no idea what that's like. I've been present twice. The most terrified I've ever been of my wife. thought she was going to kill me. There's sorrow there. And those of you ladies that have been through childbirth know what that's like. And that's a result of the fall. But then also he says, the latter part, your desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. The word desire there is used twice in the Old Testament, two other places. Once in the book of Song of Solomon and once in Genesis chapter 4. And the Genesis chapter 4 one helps us to understand the meaning behind the word desire. And it's used towards Cain. You remember Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel, they, the one brother, he offers a sacrifice and the other brother is angry over how God accepted the sacrifice. And Cain gets rebuked by God before Cain kills his brother. Before that happens, God rebukes Cain and the rebuke is this. Cain... Be careful where your desire is because sin is crouching at the door. If you continue down this path, Cain, sin is crouching, waiting to pounce like a lion. So here's what desire has to do with. Desire has to do with control. 
what's going on in your life, what's turning your heart, what's pushing your heart. And so Eve, women in the fall, as a result of the fall, what is, it's not a curse, it's a result. This is a result of the fall. This is what's going to happen because sin is in the world. What's going to happen? Your desire is to be in control over what's going on with your husband. And how many wives can attest to this? He goes to work and I don't hear from him all day long. I want to know what he's doing. And what's going to happen in return? His rule will be over you. You know what that is? It's control coming back the opposite direction. And so we have strife within the home because the wife wants to control and the husband goes, no, me mania, me bab, leaving you. It's a back and forth struggle that's happening in the house. It's a result of the fall. Why is it that we have problems in our marriages? Because you have two fallen people in a relationship. Let's be honest. If there's one fallen person in the relationship it still goes wrong. You know who the unfallen one is? Christ. And in your own relationship with the Lord, you can't keep things right. Add that in for a second person, and now you're going to have all kinds of struggles. This is the basis for where those struggles come from. It's not the woman's fault. This is the result of the fall. She wants to control, and he wants to control. And there's problems in the house. It happens because of sin. And then he addresses the man in verse 17. Verse 17, he brings in the the result there. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree... Before I go further in this, let me pause there. Because thou hast hearkened unto thy wife. And there are going to be a lot of people that would say, because you listened to your wife, you got yourself in trouble. That's not what he said. If you take that and say, God said you listen to your wife and you're going to get in trouble, you're misapplying Scripture. Look at what the words were. The words were not because you hearkened to your wife. It's because you hearkened to your wife and ate of the tree. That's the problem. The problem is you listened to Eve and ate of the tree. It's very possible that Eve could have, in a different situation, Eve could have given some really good wisdom and said, you know, there's a snake around here that tells us that we should eat of a tree. Probably shouldn't do that. That would have been wise wisdom, and he would have been well within right living to listen to his wife in that situation. But the problem here is he listened to his wife and ate of the tree. Listening to his wife is not a sinful thing. Brothers, God gives our wives wisdom that we need. And so don't let somebody tell you, well, if you listen to your wife, you're going to get in trouble. No, 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 no. Listen to the gift of wisdom that comes from God in a position of your wife. And so here he says to Adam, Because you hearkened unto the the voice of your wife and has eaten of the tree, of which I commanded you, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat eat of it all the days of thy life. I'll continue verse 18 in just a moment. But I just want to point out, notice that in this, the serpent gets cursed to crawl on his belly. The ground gets cursed to not bring forth food freely. The man and the woman don't get cursed. There are effects and results of sin. She will carry in sorrow, but you'll never see him saying, Cursed are you, woman. And never does he say to Adam, Cursed are you. No, it's the snake is cursed to crawl on his belly, and there will be enmity between him and the seed of the woman. And the ground is cursed, but God doesn't curse his own image. 
That should bring us hope, brothers and sisters. God doesn't curse His own image. And He draws us to be right with Him. So cursed is the ground for your sake, Adam. He continues on in verse 18, Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So the ground is cursed because of Adam's sin. The ground is cursed. And Adam will have to work the ground. And by the way, we said this last week, we're looking forward to and longing for the redemption of our body. You remember the word redemption last week? We're looking forward to the redemption of our bodies. And so also is the ground looking forward to the redemption of our bodies. For in the day that we are redeemed in the coming of the Lord, so also the ground will be redeemed. And the earth, this is Romans 8, the earth is groaning looking forward to that redemption. So from the time Adam sinned, God cursed the earth and the earth waits, the ground awaits, and in that, God has placed a curse because now Adam will have to work and toil, and dads, you and I know that very well. In order to eat, you will sweat of your brow, and you will work, you will sorrow, that's the word that's used there, you can see it in the end of verse 17, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of your life. That's why I said... The ladies, their sorrow. For the men, their sorrow. There should be sorrow in our lives as a result of sin. And it shows itself. Childbirth, work, and toil. The passage closes with verses 20 and 21. Verse 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. I think this is perhaps the most tender verse in the whole passage. If you know the story, you know what's coming. You know what's coming, right? God's going to kick him out of the garden. He hasn't done that yet. And right here in the middle of all of this, cursed be the snake, cursed be the land. Woman, you're going to have travail that you never experienced. Man, you're going to be working harder than you've ever worked in your life. And right in the middle of all of this negative And right before they get kicked out of the garden, Adam looks at his wife and he goes, your name is Eve. You're the mother of all living. I see that as such a tender moment. And I directly tie it to forgiveness and repentance. They're getting things right with the Lord. Oh, things will be different going forward. But they're getting things right with the Lord. And friend, when you get things right with the Lord, there's an amazing thing that will happen in your relationship. Oh God, I've sinned against you. Adam's got to confess it. I ate of the tree. He gives a terrible excuse for why. And there's punishment that's being dealt out. Adam never, at any moment in this, Adam never says, God, that's not enough. That's not right. You're just being unfair to me. Adam goes, okay, Lord, you're in control. And when you confess, repent, receive forgiveness, there's a return of love and fellowship that most of the time is never expected. And right there in verse 20, I just see Adam look at her. You're the mother of all that are living. At that moment, who's living? Just the two of them. But this is a foreshadowing of all that's to come. And God in verse 21 makes things right for them in the moment. Verse 21. And Adam also and to his wife 
Did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them? So the Lord took the life of an animal, took the skin from the animal, provided what they could not provide for themselves, for to that moment there had not been death. But when sin entered into the world, death came with sin. And this, by the way, is a foreshadowing, a finger being pointed to the cross, the fact that one will take our place, and He will provide a covering. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. So God gave us Christ's righteousness when we did not deserve it. And here the animal, in giving its life and the skin being put upon Adam and Eve, points to the cross. Let me close with some practical helps. How do we make this practical for our marriages? I'll give you three of them, real simple ones that I can take from this passage. And I hope to do something like this with the next four. If you want to have a much better relationship with your spouse, with your husband or with your wife, start off by put down the fruit. Put down the fruit. Can you imagine Adam and Eve? You know what got things right for them was repentance and stepping out of hiding and all of that. But could you imagine if Adam... Is there, God's walking through the garden. Adam, where art thou? Adam's hiding. And finally God calls him out. Adam's standing there before God with a piece of fruit in his hand behind his back. I'm just going to hold on to this one because it tasted really good. I learned a lot when I ate this fruit. I'm just going to hold on to this. Friends, sin wrecks your life. Wrecks your relationships. And so let me start off with, practically, put on the fruit. That fruit can take any number of shapes in your life. Gambling, alcohol, adultery, pornography, pride. It can take any number of shapes. But if you're going to have a better relationship with your wife, put down the fruit. You want to be right with God? Put down the fruit. Just quit. Set it aside. And the second one's a bit more difficult. Come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. God always wins in that game of hide and seek. It's not even fair. He sees all things. He knows all things. Confession is very important. Let me share a verse with you. Proverbs 18, verse 23. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have Mercy. Do you hear those words, friend? If you cover your sin, you will not prosper. But if you confess them and forsake them, do you hear the words of God? There's going to be mercy. And I want to say a couple of things here, friend, because sometimes there's sin within the marriage relationship And that sin, maybe your spouse knows about it. Maybe your spouse has no idea. And friend, you hold on to that sin. It's like that fruit. You hold on to it. And you try to have a relationship with your wife. You try to have a relationship with God. You're carrying around that sin and just holding it. And sometimes you put it down, but sometimes you go back and you pick it up and you carry it around some more. Friend, sin loves to live in the darkness. Step into the light and confess overwhelmingly 
As I've done counseling with folks, overwhelmingly, I watch victory and life come together tied directly to confession. Here's what I mean. The moment someone confesses, I've been living in this sin, and I need to get rid of it. The moment they confess it, suddenly there's a light that floods over the soul. And here's what I mean by that. There's no desire to go back to that which was so dark and terrible in their life. Do you hear the words of the book of Proverbs? Hide it, you won't prosper. Confess it, forsake it, you'll have mercy. And and along these lines, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Who do you confess it to? Confess it to those who have been impacted by it. And so if it's a gambling addiction and you've been wasting the family's money, you need to confess it to your wife or confess it to your husband. Confess it to your children because your children have been going without food or without shoes or without a school uniform or their their school fees are behind because you've been wasting the family money. Confess it to those people that have been impacted by it. Don't confess it to someone who it doesn't impact. It's silly to take your sin and go expose it to somebody who doesn't have anything to do with it. That doesn't make any sense. I might consider, or might ask you to consider, confess it carefully, and, and you might consider having a third party along if it's extremely difficult. Perhaps, and I'll say it this way, and, and I know that in a room this size, in a congregation as varied as we are, there's all kinds of sin that people are holding on to. It could be earth-shattering. You hold on to it and you hide it, you won't prosper. Confess it and forsake it, there's mercy. You might consider having someone along with you to confess it. And in that, I want to just pastorally make myself available. I'm happy to walk through that with you. Becky and I have done this with other folks, families, couples that have gone through some terrible things together. Maybe there's some stuff that you've been hiding and you need to get it out and get it cleaned up. I want you to know you don't have to do that alone. Friend, it's important. Get rid of the fruit. Just drop it. Come out of hiding. And also, along those same lines of confession, be willing to accept the consequences of your sin. Sin has consequences, friend. Don't expect that you'll say, hey, I'm sorry for this, and then tomorrow you go on with life as if nothing happened. Be willing to accept the consequences of your sin. That's deep, by the way. Adam doesn't get to go, hey, God, yeah, I ate, but get over it. No, your sin impacts people's lives. And then lastly, seek forgiveness at the cross and with each other. Seek forgiveness at the cross primarily because you've got to get that vertical relationship right first before you can go after the horizontal. So seek forgiveness at the cross and then seek forgiveness with each other. And friend, I've got to say, confess and forsake. The mercy is amazing. There's forgiveness that can be found at the cross. Repentance tears down walls. And so I want to come back to the title of the message, Happily Ever After? Question mark. 
That's what the movies always show us, right? They got married and they rode off into the sunset. The problem with the sunset is there's a night that follows. (laughs) Happily ever after? Question mark. Adam and Eve. They had everything going for them. And they messed it up. Is there any wonder why you might be struggling? And I would submit to you this. Our struggles are based in the fact that we have sin and we try to cover up our sin and hide it. And so I could submit to you this morning, drop the sin, come out of hiding, repent, make things right with your spouse. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us over the next several weeks make things right with our spouses. God, our children need to know that it's possible to have a good marriage. Lord, I think of the goodness that you have brought into so many lives. And yet, oh, how often we squander it. Adam and Eve given what nobody else has ever had. Sinless perfection in the garden. And oh, how tempting sin can be. And they walked away from it. Destroying relationships right in front of God. Chucking each other under the bus. God, I pray that you would help us to put down the sin, come out from hiding. And God, would you restore relationships within our church. I pray for our husbands and wives to do well. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for the fact that we can be made right with you through the cross. For it's in your beautiful name I ask it. Amen. Lord bless you, church. Have a great week.